grace and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It's a rather long gospel lesson today, and it seems a little bit disjointed when you, when you look at it. We come in to hear uh, uh, th- this portion of the 15th chapter of Matthew's gospel. We've, we've come through uh, a, a couple of miracles, the feeding of the 5,000, of course, the walking on the water, and the, and the, uh, the help that Jesus gave to Peter. The very first part of chapter 15 is interesting in and of itself as well. Jesus comes from those great miracles, and and he gets into a he kind of gets into a a, a little squabble, I guess you call it, with the with the scribal authorities of his time on cleanliness. It seems that Jesus and his disciples are eating and they're not washing their hands. Well, we know today how important that is, that you wash your hands, that diseases run rampant because of that. You scrub them with warm water, hot water, and soap, and you scrub them for a long time. You scrub them until you can sing the happy birthday song twice. Did you know that? That's the key. I, I, remember, I remember when I had a call to serve a, uh, a, a medical system. And we were going through the orientation, and one of the they had two things that I remember from the orientation. One is you're always happy when you come to work here. You leave any problems at home, we don't want to hear about them, get a smile on your face. And it was infectious. It was a great place to work. It, it was not a pastor's call, so that's why I didn't stay. But it was a great job. The other thing I remember was the deal with the hand washing because I was the one they pulled up for the volunteer, and they, they spray this stuff on your hands. It's like a, a, a paint you can't see, and then they show it under a black light, and your hands are like orange. And so I was sent into a, a bathroom to wash my hands, and boy, I thought I really scrubbed them, just really scrubbed them, came out, and they were still pretty orange under the black light. And, and of course, the point they were making is you need to clean your hands. That's first part of well that's what they get in the squabble here all about and Jesus says wait a minute why I mean what's the point of this this is some human law has nothing really to do with faithfulness or your relationship to God and I suppose we do things like this today as well we try to figure out what we can do and manipulate and we we like to follow those laws rather than really listening to the message of the gospel I think all of the time But then he goes in to explain to him, look, you put something into your mouth, you chew it up, it goes through your system, and you know where it comes out, into the sewer. He said, that is as it should be, because it has no consequence. But he says, it's not what goes into the mouth, it's what comes out. Because that comes from the heart. Words hurt, we know that. No matter when people apologize, you can never take back something that was said. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it, I didn't mean it. Well, maybe not, but the pain never leaves. Sticks and stones break my bones, but words, they never hurt me. We teach that to all our children. It's not true. Words do hurt. Here, Jesus is trying to explain to the disciples as well as to the Pharisees who won't listen, that the important things are what come from the heart. Now what's interesting is we we often lose sight of what happens here as we go from verses 10 to 20 to 21 to 28, and we have this woman that comes in here, and they've moved locations. So there's been some time that's passed. 
And I think sometimes Jesus does that. He, he says things. He lets them ruminate with the disciples. And then later we really have a teaching moment. And what we have in 21 to 28 is truly the teaching moment. They're along the coastline in Tyre, Sidon, somewhere along over in there. Canaanite woman comes up. She's a pagan woman. It's interesting what goes on in light of the miracles that the disciples have witnessed in the last couple of chapters over the last whatever amount of time. How quickly they forget. The woman comes up and she's harassed. Lord, have mercy on me, son of David. Son of David, my daughter is ill. Help her. We know Jesus has exercised demons. Matthew chapter 8, we have a, an example of that. And so the word has you know, gone through the holy lands here. So she knows that he can do this. She has all faith that he can do this. And notice in, in verse 23, he doesn't answer her. And I, I think he's waiting to see what the disciples will do. And the disciples do what they do. Send her away. Good heavens, she's drawing a crowd. This is embarrassing. She's yelling after us. Get rid of her. So Jesus, ever mindful of what they had done at the feeding of the thousands, takes it a step further. He continues his teaching moment and he turns to this poor, helpless woman and he says, you know, I'd really kind of like to help you, but I was sent here to help the lost sheep of Israel. Not that I'm not here to help the world, but I came to Israel first. I got to help Israel. And then she begs. She gets on her knees and she grovels. But she grovels in a worshipful position. Lord, help me. And then Jesus challenges what's going on here. I, I, this, this is just, again, one old man's perspective, but it seems to me that Jesus is, is setting this thing up because he wants to see how everybody reacts. He says, it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. Ooh. Ooh. Now, here's why you pay the big bucks to send people like Aaron and me to seminary. Because you read this, and you just think, that's disgusting. And it could be, because dog was a, a, a negative term. But in Greek, the dog here is a little house dog. It's not some wild Rottweiler or Doberman coming after him. It's not some feral dog out in the street. It's a little house puppy. Hmm? And she says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And then the teaching moment comes in. Remember that section we just had about what comes out of your mouth is what's important? Not what goes in. Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done to you as you would. The key in the midst of all of this is the woman's faith. Not the thing about the dogs, necessarily. 
It's not even the thing about the disciples who so quickly have forgotten that they went to send 5,000 away and Jesus fed them. Here they're doing the same thing to this poor little woman. I don't know if she's little, but I'm assuming. He's teaching them. Because you see, it's what comes out of her mouth that is so intricately important. Hmm? It's the faith that comes out of her mouth. There are three steps of faith here. We have the faith of confession, the faith of defendance, and the faith of persistence. Or, or maybe all three of these go to define faith. I'm not exactly sure how we want to see that. But the point is the confession she makes initially in verse 22, O Lord, Son of David, she knows who this man is. She may not be a Jew. But she understands, she has absolute faith that this is the Messiah, the son of David that has come to the world and that this man has powers that she cannot understand, that he is her Lord. Paul writes, you confess with your mouth, you believe in your heart, and you will be saved. I have to think that this is a great demonstration of confessing with one's mouth. It's not about telling everybody else in the world about Jesus. It's about telling Jesus you understand who he is. She's got the disciples standing there fighting against her, and yet, Lord, I'm focused on you and you alone, and you are my Lord. You are the son of David, and I'm begging you, this faith of dependence, help me. You know, it's funny that, that Peter doesn't really see this. Remember, wasn't long ago, huh? He's jumping out of the boat. Have me come to you, Lord. Hey, this is cool. All the, oh, wait a minute. Wait, whoa, whoa. Help me. Help me, Lord. The same words. Jesus reached out his hand and he helped Peter. How could he do any less here? Sometimes I think that it's only in our abject pain, when we reach the bottom and we are so totally helpless that we can come to understand what it means to be totally dependent on God. Lives fall apart, people die, marriages end in divorce, heinous surgeries face us. Perhaps it's only truly at those times we struggle with world events, national events. Every day when we read the newspaper, almost every article is one that could bring us to our knees and say, Lord, help us. And that's what we see here, this faith of dependence. And, and, and regardless, she is persistent. Remember, the disciples, she's crying after us. She's following them along. We don't know for sure how long this is going on, but it's been going on long enough to be an annoyance. And so we see that the, the earmarks of faith are confession that God truly is God and we're willing to do whatever God gives us. And that brings us back to this table thing. That brings us back to the crumbs. Years ago, there was a book out it was kind of interesting. It was called the, the Gospel According to Peanuts. 
And, and it, was a, it was big in all the colleges. We read it at Capital University. We read it in the seminary. And, and it, 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 it taught the gospel really from a, a, a beautifully naive yet faithful perspective of all those wonderful peanut characters. It was a great book, very popular. There was another one out that wasn't quite so popular that some of us read, but, but it kind of spoke of the, the era. It was called The Gospel According to Andy Capp. Now, now, some of you may be old enough to remember Andy Capp, who was that very irreverent, uh, shall we say at times even bawdy character from London, and the way he treated or mistreated his wife and generally everybody around him. But the gospel, according to Andy Capp, also opened our eyes to the magnanimous love of Jesus Christ and what it means to truly witness in a world. I call this passage here the gospel according to Katie. Katie's my little miniature long-haired dachshund. And when I read this and I think about the crumbs on the table, I think about Katie and I think about her laying under the table while we eat, just waiting for that crumb. Not bothering anybody, just there. But I'll tell you, when it drops, you don't want to be between it and her. (laughs) She's the dog. My point being is that she is absolutely helpless because she's domesticated. She depends on her owners for everything. She can't do it on her own. I see that as our relationship to God. We need to come to that understanding that we are absolutely helpless without the love, the power, the forgiveness of God. That, my friends, is where we begin to grow in this confession of faith. O Lord, son of David, do we know what that means to proclaim Christ as the Messiah, the one who truly saves the world? And do we cry out in dependence, Lord, help me? One one of the great great old jokes is this, is that there's a guy going down the the, the street and and he's pulled over by uh, police and the, the policeman goes up and he said, I'd like to see your license and registration. Looks at him, huh, I'll be darned. Okay, well then thank you very much. And he hands it back. And the driver says, well, wait a minute, what, what, what was this about? He says, well, I, I thought you stole this car. You thought I stole a car? How could you think I stole this car? He says, well, I saw you go through this, this intersection back there and, and, and give the uh, um, <clears throat> universal signal for lack of peace <clears throat> to the person that cut you off and I saw you rant and rave and then I saw the little ichthus on the back of your bumper the little Christian fish sign he said and I thought you must have stolen it because a Christian probably wouldn't have reacted that way when we confess Christ remember it is what we say and what we do that witnesses to that Christ And are we always ready to love Jesus, trusting in what Jesus has done for us? The gospel according to Katie. When I say it's time to go for a walk, she believes me. When I say it's dinner time, she believes me. Now she starts begging two hours before that, but that's the persistence. You ask yourself this when we come to the point of how 
truly, truly, you trust Jesus. If a man locks his wife and his dog in the trunk of his car for one hour and then he unlocks it, which one's going to kiss him when she gets out? Sometimes Jesus locks us in the trunk for a while. Can we trust that? This is a lesson for the disciples. Here is one that they would have shunned away because she wasn't a Jew. And yet in her we see and we hear the confession of faith, the dependence of faith, and the persistence of faith. May we be challenged this week that we are never sent away, that Jesus looks to us, and that we can be content with those crumbs. God bless you.